Hi, everyone, all my sexy listeners. This is Dr. Tammy. Welcome to The Trouble with Sex. Today, I have a very esteemed guest. I'm very excited to have her today. We've been trying to get her on for a while. I'm thrilled that she's trapped at home and has the time and space to come talk to me today. Dr. Lori Mintz. She's an award-winning professor at the University of Florida. She teaches the psychology of human sexuality. She's published over 50 articles in academic journals. For 30 years, she's counseled individuals and couples on sexual issues, and she's the author of two books, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, which I definitely need, and Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. We are supported by Dame Products. You've heard me say many times that pleasure is power, and our partners at Dame make products that are all about your pleasure. Making the world a happier place, one vagina at a time, Dame makes toys for sex that take solo and couple play to new heights. Check out dameproducts.com slash troublewithsex and get turned on by their innovative designs and modern engineering. For 15% off all your orders, use promo code Dr. Tammy, that's D-R-T-A-M-M-Y, at checkout. Again, that's Dame products.com slash trouble with sex, promo code Dr. Tammy, and discover your favorite pleasure toy. Dr. Lori, thank you so much for being here today. I'm so excited to be here. I'm so excited you're here. So tell us, okay, what does becoming cliterate mean? And tell us a little bit about orgasm equality. Let me start with orgasm equality. And orgasm equality means that both women and men, people with vulvas, people with penises, are having their fair share of orgasms. And why it matters is because right now they're not. The research is so clear that we have a huge orgasm gap based on gender so where people who identify with as men, when they get it on with people who identify as women, the men are having way more orgasms than the women are. And so orgasm equality is closing the orgasm gap. And the way we do that is by becoming cliterate, which is by becoming literate in women's most reliable route to orgasm, which is the clitoris. Well, that just seems fair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it just seems fair. I love the idea of closing the orgasm gap, which seems like it's been open for a long time. And the idea that, you know, there should be some equality in pleasure. And why why don't we have as many orgasms? I mean, it seems like we're capable of having so many more. And because we can have multiple orgasms, it seems like it should be going the other way. Exactly. But I the reason we don't in is cultural. And this is not blaming men. This is blaming culture, that culturally we privilege male sexual pleasure. And by that, I mean, if you look around, what you see are lies, right? You see on movies, porn, whatever, these images of these women having these fast and fabulous orgasms from penetration alone, that's a lie. But then we expect that. And also, even our language privileges the way men reach orgasm, not the way women. We use the word sex and intercourse as if they're the same thing. We relegate foreplay to eh, 
just something we do before, even though that's the type of stimulation that brings most women to orgasm. So we have a real cultural problem underlying the orgasm gap. And of course, we have all these false images without any sex education that's accurate in most states to correct those false images. Yeah. And so much of our sex education is all about, you know, procreation or, you know, sex as sinful or pleasure is sinful. So much of our culture is still around those sort of old ideas of, you know, women as the carrier of the of the sin. We were just talking about that on another episode about women being, you know, lured into the garden to eat the apple. And that's the sort of source of this idea of, of Christianity and sin and pleasure. And, you know, it's always women naked in some garden. <laughs> right. And, you know, our sexuality is either demonized or devalued or both. Well, can you say more about how to close that, that pleasure gap and a little bit more about, you know, this fixation we have on G-spot orgasms versus clitoral orgasm and what's going on there? Yeah. So, I mean, there is such a long history. It started way before Freud, right? But I'm going to just start there. The idea that women have different types of orgasms, clitoral, G-spot, vaginal, and that one is better than the other. That the ideal is, quote, vaginal orgasms or orgasms that come from stimulation of the vaginal canal. The truth of the matter is that most of the touch-sensitive nerve endings that women need to reach orgasm are not inside the vaginal canal. And I'm not diminishing intercourse at all or not or saying it's not pleasurable. That is not my message at all. But the the thing that we don't educate women on or men is that most women need clitoral stimulation, external clitoral stimulation to reach orgasm. And so men are in this position where they're like trying to give her one by lasting long and thrusting hard. And women think they should. So they're faking. I can go back and address the different kind of orgasms, but you know, we still have this terrible orgasm hierarchy in our culture where you're supposed to have an orgasm this certain way, and it's not the way that most women orgasm. Yeah, didn't Freud say that the only mature orgasm was a vaginal orgasm? (laughs) Yes, he said that exactly. He even said, and this just, it's just so crazy. He said that as a woman matures, He knew that the clitoris was sensitive, but he said, as a woman matures, she will transfer her sensitivity from her clitoris to her vagina, (laughs) which is like saying, gee, when you grow up, you'll start breathing out of your ears instead of your nose. I mean, it's just crazy. We don't grow up and change our biology. (laughs) Right. Like the clitoral orgasm is, is immature and the vaginal orgasm is mature, just like, you know. Well, if we only touched your scrotum, then that would be pleasurable, but it's not really the whole shebang. Exactly. And even that, like, you know, when you said, what's the deal with G-spot orgasms or vaginal, like we characterize women's orgasms by the place that's being stimulated. We don't, and then we declare one better. Mm -hmm. We don't, if you think about that, we don't do that with male orgasms. We don't say, oh, he had a, you know, a, a blowjob orgasm or an intercourse orgasm or a prostate orgasm. We we don't do that. It's only when it comes to our orgasms that we 
categorize and, you know, then claim one superior. Why do you think that is? Like, why have we done that? I think it goes back to procreation that, you know, to have a baby in, you know, you need the penis in the vagina, but I think it runs much deeper than that. I think it it was Cher Height that said, we can't put it all on that. Like, it's bigger than that. You know, we have done this for centuries, even when we knew. And I think, honestly, again, I'm not blaming men. I'm married to a man. I, you know, I have many men in my life I love. I'm talking about culture. I think that we culturally privilege the male experience, and then we try to fit the female experience in it. Like, you know, if men orgasm this way, so should we, you know, and if men come this way, so should we. And, you know, one of the ways we do that the most, I think is fascinating. If you think about the fact that we call our entire genitals a vagina, it's we're calling our entire genitals by the part that's most sexually responsive to our male partners if we have them, not ourselves. So I think it's just the weight of the whole culture is so intercourse male pleasure focused. That's really interesting. So what is it that you recommend when people come to you and say, well, you know, I've never had a vaginal orgasm or I want to have a G-spot orgasm or I want to squirt or whatever they've seen in porn. Like, how do you work with people around that? Yeah. Well, I mean, I first I normalize, of course you do, because that's what you're seeing all around you. I say, but let me tell you about those images and let me tell you how false they are. And then I give them the statistics of how many women reach orgasm from penetration alone, which depending on the study and the way the question is asked, it's four to 18% from penetration alone. And then I talk to them about clitoral stimulation. And if they masturbate, I say, how do you pleasure yourself? And 99% of the time, I my clients tell me or my students or whoever is asking me that they do it by external stimulation, sometimes coupled with penetration, sometimes not. But yet when they're with their male partners, they they sort of forgo that and expect to come in a different way. So you know, I, I help them with the reality and then help them feel empowered to get the same kind of stimulation when they're with a partner as they do when they're with themselves. So how do you help people to become empowered to ask for what they want when they're with a partner? Because I find that, you know, the most questions that come in for the podcast are around that, you know, how do you communicate? How do you ask for what you want? How do you get what you desire? And You know, in my own practice, I get a lot of that um, stumbling block, too, about how do you communicate your fantasies or how do you communicate, you know, what's really working. You know, I find that people say a lot of the critical things are the things that aren't working. You know, they say, I hate it when you go to the left instead of I love it when you go to the right. They kind of hold out until something's really not working or it's really not making them happy. And then they bring it up. And I think that's that's my experience as well. Or people don't talk about something till like it's so late into the problem and then it's escalated. And, you know, I talk to people about that. I get it right in our culture. Sex is taboo, even though it's all around us. So it's hard to talk about it but that I promise them it will be much easier to learn to talk about it than it will to be 
continue to pretend they're reading their partner's mind, have their minds read, or could it continue to be happy, unhappy and not say anything? And that, you know, I try to help them see that sexual communication isn't a big different than regular communication. So I start with like, let's get your day-to-day communication, you know, better. And then we'll transfer that to the bedroom. But like start being able to say your needs when it comes to like, well, you know, what do you want for dinner? (laughs) You know, and practice there and really get them listening and talking and stating their needs and working things out. And then I teach sexual communication. Yeah. In your book, you talk about the mental blocks. Is that a mental block to orgasm, to pleasure? What do you what do you describe as the mental blocks for people? Can you tell our listeners? Sure. So I think the chapter you're talking about is where I talk about people's distractions during sex or sex negative thinking. So both, right? Like subconscious or conscious you know, negative thinking, I don't deserve pleasure. His pleasure is more important. It's good for him. If it's good for him, it's good for me. So those are the sex negative thoughts or sex is dirty or bad, or the way I like it is dirty or bad. So there's those sex negative thoughts. And then there's also our inability to turn our brain off during sex and to focus. Then there's the whole like, (sighs) do I look okay? Do I smell okay? Am I going to orgasm? Am I going to orgasm? Am I going to orgasm? So what I talk about in, in the book is doing two things, having sex positive thoughts when you are not in the bedroom and turning your thinking brain off with mindfulness when you are in the bedroom. I wonder if you could give us a couple of tips on how to use that mindfulness to get out of that spectator mode or, you know, when you're starting to get into that place where you're super, you know, in your head. Yeah. And, you know, as you well know, you can't have an orgasm when you're in your head. No, I mean, thinking, I want an orgasm, I want an orgasm, or is he having fun? Is she having fun? Is the most surefire way not to orgasm. Exactly. So much like the communication, I teach mindfulness in daily life and then apply it to the bedroom. So, I mean, mindfulness is really big out there. So a lot of people probably know what it is, but just in case, I mean, I, I, I have a very simple definition that I like to use. And that is, it's simply putting your head and your body in the same space. So many times our body's doing one thing and our head's doing another. Like you could be talking to a friend and you're, that's where your body is sitting there and your mind is like writing an email. And then all of a sudden you're like, look, and your friend's mouth's going up and down and you're like, oh no, I missed that. So, you know, the it's putting your mind and your body in the same place. And a, a metaphor I love is a roller coaster. I don't know if you like to ride roller coasters. I actually love it. But whether you love it or you hate it, when they put you in the seat, at least if you're me, you're like, oh my gosh, is this strapped? Is this going to work? Am I going to fall out? Is it going to get stuck? I shouldn't have gotten on this thing. Your mind's going (laughs) bananas. And as you're going up, your mind's still going bananas. But as you fly downhill, you just stop thinking. You are just in your sensations. And that's mindfulness. And same with communication. Any, you don't need to meditate, although it's very helpful to, you know, long time, but to practice it in your daily life. 
when you're every we're all washing our hands, right? For right now. So that's a great time to practice mindfulness. Really focus on the physical sensations of washing your hand or brushing your teeth. And the goal isn't to always stay there, but it's to notice when your mind goes walking away and bring it back. Mm-hmm. And it might leave in a in a 20 second hand wash, it might leave 10 times, but the key is to notice and bring it back to the sensations. And once you learn that in your daily life, then you take it to the bedroom and you um, know how to immerse in your physical sensations and you know how to notice when your mind wanders and just bring it back. And some people use breath to do it. Some use thoughts, some use their partner's scent, but knowing how to bring your body uh, back to your mind. Mm, That's great advice. That's really good advice. Hang in there. And we'll be right back with Dr. Lori Mintz. The Trouble With Sex team and our partners at Dame want you to know we've got your back. We're living in really stressful times and self-care has never been more important. Make sure you're carving out time to take care of you. This can mean self-pleasuring, masturbation. Those are great ways to decrease feelings of loneliness, anxiety, and it can even relieve depression. For more help exploring solo play, you can visit dameproducts.com slash trouble with sex. I love the idea that you're normalizing the need to have a, a clitoral stimulation in order to have an orgasm. Everyone should have this information. You should just know this. Like this should be just common knowledge for all boys, all girls, everyone growing up. And we should get rid of this like false information that's in porn and... I'm not sure how we can disseminate the correct information unless we give everyone your book, which perhaps we should. I also want to go back to your other book, A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, and make sure that we touch on that as well, because particularly, you know, for people who are a little older like me, it's, you know, it's hard. I'm tired at the end of the day. Got any tips? Yeah, I do have tips. Um, (laughs) And I'm older and tired at the end of the day, too. I think I'm tired lately, even when I get up in the morning. (laughs) I know, um, it's true. (laughs) And, you know, what the the message of that book is, just like I normalize clitoral stimulation as needed for orgasm and becoming clitorate, in the Tired Woman's Guide to Passion and Sex, I normalize decreased desire or decreased spontaneous desire, decreased horniness. I mean, we know, you know, that as women age and as our relationship length goes on, a lot of us stop becoming spontaneously horny. And, you know, sometimes that's simple reasons. Sometimes it's more complex. But if the reason is simple aging, length of relationship, stress, exhaustion, I want people to know that that's normative, but that the bottom line in that book is you need to take care of yourself in many ways, exercise, self-care. But the biggest thing I think is to help educate people on receptive desire that you can, you don't have to wait to be horny to have sex. If you're a woman of a certain age, you can have sex to get horny. You can reverse the equation and schedule it. You know, how often do you want to do this? Once a week. Okay. That's good. When, 
and let's just do it. Let's clear the space, clear our minds. And, you know, if it's fun when it gets going, it's not duty sex. (laughs) And to really help women embrace that model of sex. I mean, right. We wouldn't be on this podcast together if we didn't both put it on our calendars for today. And the same is true of sex in long-term relationships when women and men are exhausted. Yeah, such good advice. I love the sex date idea. We've talked about that before on our podcast. And I think it's really true that you, you know, you can be just as satisfied from being responsive to starting sex as you can from, you know, having a desire come first. So arousal can, you know, come first and then desire doesn't have to be necessary desire and then arousal. Yeah. And for so many women, if they waited for desire, they'd never have sex again. And sometimes that happens. And so instead of waiting, let the sex lead you to the desire. Exactly. So true. Let's take a question. I have Joe from Buffalo, New York. He wants to know, how long do I need to go down on my partner to give her a clitoral orgasm? Joe, that's a great question, and I'm glad you were so direct and so honest about your question. And I'm wondering why he can't ask his partner or they haven't had that conversation or they haven't figured it out themselves. But I love that he's asking you this this question. Yeah, I love that that question, too, because it shows that, A, you want to go down on her. B, you know that's how she's going to get off. And you want to know. But my my reply is the same as Dr. Tammy's. Ask her. Ask, have a conversation. Now, don't do it in the middle of going down, you know. <laughs> like, um, how long is this going to take? Yeah. How much longer do you need? <laughs> it's been 10 minutes. <laughs> yeah, but, you know, I I would suggest that you have a conversation and the conversation go like this. I love to make you pleasure, have you bring you to orgasm. Your pleasure is important to me. You know, I want to go down on you as long as it takes for you to orgasm. Is that okay with you? Because my answer is also as long as it takes that you're willing. But it sounds like a conversation is in order because there might be something behind your question. Maybe you feel like it's, you know, longer than you can sustain, or maybe you're not sure if she is. And, and not all women orgasm from oral sex. Some might prefer a vibrator or hands. So to me, the fact you're asking, it says you care about her pleasure. So I would say time to have what I call a kitchen table sex talk, where you talk about this with her. Yeah, I love that idea to actually talk about it. And sometimes it's embarrassing to bring it up. So one of the ways you can do it is to talk about what you really like, what you appreciate. You know, what is it that you appreciate about your partner and sex with your partner? What do you appreciate about oral sex with your partner? What do you appreciate about going down on your partner? What do you appreciate about receiving sex, oral sex from your partner? So have the conversation about what you appreciate, what you would like more of, and maybe what you want to try. And I love that idea of having that conversation at the kitchen table, not necessarily during sex. Yeah. And and to open it, you know, make sure you have the right timing and she's open to it and say like, hey, there's something I want to talk to you about, you know, introduce the topic. I'm a little nervous to talk about it, but I want to because you're important to me. Our sex life is important to me. Yeah, I really like that. Dr. Lori, do you have any other tips or takeaways or interventions that you could give our listeners? Sure. I think, well, in terms of, I'm going to give two, if that's okay. Please, as many as you want. 
the most essential step to orgasm with your partner is to get the same type of stimulation you get when you're alone. And I know I alluded to that, but I can't underscore it enough that so many times women, people with vulvas know what they like when they're alone and then they forego it. And so feel entitled, feel empowered to get that same type of stimulation. There is nothing wrong with touching your own clitoris during intercourse, using a vibrator on yourself during intercourse, you know, using a vibrator before or after. So that's my plea for you all in terms of orgasm. And then in terms of receptive desire, I would love to ask people to give up the idea of spontaneous sex because so many times when I say schedule sex or have what I call a tryst, they're like, oh, that's so unromantic if I have to schedule it. And to that, I want to say, think back, maybe if you have a long-term partner to when you were younger and you would go on a date and you would get dressed up and take a shower and spray yourself with perfume and put on fancy underwear and touch and flirt and oh, oh my heavens, the night ended in sex. Well, that was not spontaneous sex. It was so well orchestrated that it looked spontaneous. So there really is very little sex that is spontaneous. So let that go and allow yourself instead to schedule trysts with your partner. Yeah, I like that. So schedule your sex and you can be as spontaneous as you want if you plan it for that night. <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Those are great suggestions. Well, thank you, Dr. Mintz. Dr. Lori Mintz, who's the author of A Tired Woman's Guide to Passionate Sex, which is so important, and Becoming Clitorate, Why Orgasm Equality Matters and How to Get It. Thank you so much for joining us today. It's such a pleasure to have you. Thank you so much for having me. It's been such an honor. Oh, and for my sexy listeners out there, if you want to leave a question for me to ask one of my sexy guests, go to thetroublewithsex.com, leave me a note, ask me a question, or just tell me how you're doing. I would love to know how you're thriving during this time. Until next time, I'm Dr. Tammy. This episode was brought to you by Dame Products. To find out more, go to thetroublewithsex.com or email me at drtammy at thetroublewithsex.com. Join our mailing list, follow us on social media, sign up for our newsletter, or send me a question. The Trouble With Sex is produced by Brandy Savitt and Jane Applegate. Our audio is by Flavor Lab New York City. This episode was recorded on location by Bruce Hirschfield and mixed by Eric Stern with music by Bruce Hirschfield. Oh,